Uh, like Austin said, my name is Anthony. It is great to be here with you guys this morning. I serve on staff and I run at our city groups and local and global missions. And I'm so thankful for this opportunity to share from God's word. Um, we're going to be looking at multiplication through the book of Genesis. And just like, um, and it just seems super fitting for me to be able to share on this topic because multiplication is definitely a theme that Jesus has been weaving through my family's life. Um, So my wife and I in the last three years have gone from a family of two to a family of seven. And I'm not going to lie, the other day when I wrote that in my transcript, I pulled out my phone to look at our family picture to count it because I could hardly believe it. But yep, there are seven of us. Uh, My wife and I, we adopted our four oldest boys a year ago this month, and we're super excited to be able to share um, our first, celebrate our first forever family day on the 19th. And then Last um, September on the 2nd, um, our youngest son was born, and so we are now a family of seven. And I was actually reminded of what a privilege it is to be a part of a multiplying family this last weekend while I was at my grandma's house. She has this awesome wall in her living room that's full of pictures that represent our family tree. Up at the top, it's got my grandma and my grandpa, and below them is my mom and her siblings, and then below them is me and my brother, and then our cousins, and then below them are my five boys and our cousins' kids. And I love looking at that wall because it reminds us, uh, it reminds me that we have a place in the family, that the generations before us have been faithful to multiply themselves and to have us and to care for us and to give us a place in the family tree. Um, It's also super cool, just thinking about multiplication, how Jesus has been multiplying our church. It's been a joy to see hundreds of people welcomed in to Jesus' family tree. It's been so fun to see us be able to multiply a church location in South Lincoln and to now see us become pregnant with another church plant in North Lincoln as Ben and Nate um, are planning and praying in to going to North Lincoln. And so... I will never get tired of being a part of the mission of multiplying Jesus-centered disciples and churches. And just, again, thinking about that family tree, the pictures on the wall that our church belongs to a family tree similarly. What started with City Light Omaha six years ago has now been, has now turned into nine churches in three different states. And us here at City Light Lincoln have a place in that. And I can't wait to see how Jesus continues to multiply his family. And all of this talk about multiplication doesn't, isn't just cool because we think it's a good idea or because it's strategic, but because it matters to God. And that's why I'm really excited for this new sermon series as we finished up the last eight months in Hebrews. Alex did a phenomenal job concluding us in that, but excited as we move into a, a series on the heart of God. We're going to be looking at what matters to God, because what matters to God should matter to us. And we're going to do this by studying every single book of the Bible over the next 11 years. So we're going to take, we're going to take six weeks of every summer for the next 11 years, and we're going to study one book of the Bible each week. So that's one book per series, one book per sermon, six books per summer. So in 11 years, we will have covered all 66 books of the Bible and what it reveals about what is important to God. And so here's where we're going this year. This year we'll be in the first six books. In Genesis, we're going to look at multiplication. Next week in Exodus, we'll look at freedom. And then after that, Leviticus, holiness, numbers, dependence, Deuteronomy, remembrance, and then in Joshua, victory. And again, this is all so that we can see what God values through his word. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Genesis and the topic of multiplication. And I hope that this morning we will come away with a greater understanding of God's design and purpose 
for men and women to multiply his image and his glory over the earth through multiplication. Again, I hope we come away that with this come away this morning with a greater understanding of God's design and purpose for men and women to fill the earth with his image and his glory through multiplication. So in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for multiply is rabach. I'm not sure if that's actually how you say it, but I feel like you can say any Hebrew word with the ch at the end of it, and it sounds legit. Uh, But that word, it occurs 224 times in the Old Testament, and 29 of those are in the book of Genesis. And so when God repeats something so many times, we should really lean in and see, Jesus, what do you actually have to say about this? So let's jump into Genesis and take a look at God's commission for multiplication. The first thing I want us to see is God's commission for multiplication. And in the first 25 verses of chapter 1, we see that God is laying out the foundation for why and who created the world. He wants us to understand that it was him who created the world, and he created it for his glory. In the first um, three days of creation, we see that God creates the light, the sky, the water, and land. And these would be the canvas on which he creates all living things. He creates the birds, the fish, the animals, and the plants. And of all of these things, whenever he creates them, he gives them a commission. He says, There's two things that he repeats over and over to these living things. The first one is, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And I actually love this command because it's so cool to see God welcome his creation into his purposes. He could have very easily just said, uh, he very easily could have just created all of the things that he wanted to fill the earth, but he didn't. He created a few of them and he designed them in a way for them to reproduce themselves, to multiply themselves, and welcomes them into his purpose of filling the earth as they have offspring, as they have babies, as they reproduce themselves over the earth. The second phrase that is repeated in these first 25 verses over and over again is according to their kind. And so that means that dogs were to multiply dogs, cats multiply cats, and apple trees multiply apple trees. Each living thing that God created had its own unique purpose, and they were supposed to pass that purpose on from generation to generation. And we see that this thread of multiplying according to their kind continues in in God's creation of Adam and Eve, of men and women. And so we read in verses 26 through 28 of Genesis 1. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so we see these verses describe the uniqueness of God's creation and God's commission to mankind. Similarly to the way he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, to, um, to the animals and to the plants, God says the same thing to Adam and Eve, but it is unique. Nothing else in all of creation was made in God's image, only men were. And to be made in his image means to picture and display who God was, who God is. And this isn't in, in the, necessarily in a physical sense, but very much in a spiritual sense. They were to multiply both God's character and his values. We know that God is holy, he is righteous, he is loving and just, and in the same way, Adam and Eve were to be holy, righteous, loving, and just. Here's how John Piper describes it. 
He says, if you, have, if you make a sculpture of someone, you do it to display something about that someone. You put it in the square in the middle of town and you want people to look at it, notice it, and think about that person. That they were noble or strong or wise or courageous. God created us in his image so that we would display, that we would reflect, and that we would communicate who he is, how great he is, and what he is like. And so we see that man was created uniquely in God's image, and with this unique creation, God gives them a unique commission. Just like they were to multiply on the face of the earth, like the animals, they, it's different in that they were to multiply God's image. This wasn't about creating little Adam and Eves to fill the earth just for their own name and for their own glory. It was that they would fill the earth with God's image. And to be his image bearers, they were to have responsibility and to steward what God had created. That is why God tells them to um, subdue the earth and to have dominion over it. They were to take God's creation and use their imagination and create cultures and societies and art and structures and all of these things that would bring glory to God. They were to cultivate the earth. And this was actually huge for me to see this commission. I feel like For the very first time when I saw this, it really helped me see God in a more correct light. I remember growing up, and until recently, I had had this view of God that God primarily cared about the things that we didn't do. I had thought that the first commandment that God gave Adam and Eve was the one to not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So I thought God was primarily concerned with us not, um, not drinking, not having sex, not doing drugs, not doing this, not doing that. But even more than he cares about those things, he cares about the awesome things that we were created for. And I feel like this shows us his heart um, as a father from the very beginning. That, and this isn't in some kind of legalistic, you have to do this to earn my love, but as a father says, I love you and I want to see you thrive. And this is the way it's been for me with my boys. Yes, I care about my boys not doing dumb things. I don't want them to play baseball in the street. I don't want my four-year-old to call his teacher a poopy butt. But even more than that, yep, um, it's fun. But even more than that, even more than I want them to not do those dumb things, I want to see them thrive. I want to see my boys be the greatest friends that they can be, to be the greatest president one day, to be the greatest police officer, to be the greatest firefighter, to be the greatest husband, to be the greatest father. I want to see them thrive, not because I want them to earn my love, but because I already love them, and I want to see them experience joy. So to summarize, God created Adam and Eve with a purpose, and their purpose, he says to them, would you multiply my image, fill the earth with my image, with my kindness, with my love, with my creativity, my justice, and my holiness. We'll get into this more later, but church, I want us to see that woven into the very fabric of our creation is the image of God. If you're in the room this morning, you have the image of God stamped on you. While it might be broken in one way or another, you have his image. And whether you've trusted in Jesus or not, whether you're black or white, Hispanic or Asian, whether you were born in the U.S. or in India, you have a unique value to you because you were stamped with God's image. You, have a, you, were, you are here on purpose, and you were designed for a reason. And now... While God was so kind to create mankind and give them this crazy, awesome purpose to fill the earth with his image, when we look around the world today, we know that while the earth might be filled with humans, it is filled with a very broken image of God. In Genesis 3, we see that Adam and Eve rebel against God's word. They say no to God's image, and they decide to value their own image and their own values over God's. 
And as a result, their image now begins to resemble sin more than it does God. And the next nine chapters of Genesis show us how, um, how that while men and women are still in the image of God, they're the image of God in them becomes more and more distorted because of this sin. And we see the epitome of this in the flood. In Genesis 6, 1 through 11, it records that men and women are being fruitful. They are multiplying and they are filling the earth, but they are filling it with something very different than God's image. In verse 11 of Genesis 6, we read this. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so we see here that rather than filling the earth with God's loving, holy, righteous love, they have filled it with violence. We see that men and women have not been able to work their way back to God's image, but continue to distort it. And so God says, comes to Noah and he says, I'm going to start over with your family, Noah. And so Noah, by faith, builds a boat, builds an ark that would save him and his family. And after the flood recedes and they come back to dry land, God recommissions Noah and his family, just like he does Adam and Eve. In chapter 9 of Genesis, in verse 1, God blessed Noah and he said to his son, and, and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then he repeats it again in verse 7, and he says, And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. So we see that here God continues his purpose for men and women, that they would continue to multiply his image over the face of the earth with Noah. And Genesis 10 recounts how Noah's family does this. It says that from these, the nations spread abroad over the earth after the flood. And so the earth begins to fill again. But again, we'll get to chapter 11 and we'll see that humanity does the complete opposite of what God had called them to as they reject God's commission for multiplication. That brings us to the second thing I want us to see in the book of Genesis, and it's man's rejection of multiplication. So Genesis 11 opens up and we see that men, that um, that the world is beginning to gather together in the plain of Shinar. And here, they learn how to create bricks, and they create buildings, which is awesome, by the way. This was part of subduing the earth and having dominion over it, was they were figuring out, they were using their imagination with God's creation, and they were doing great things with it. But we see they're missing an important part of it. In verse 4, we read, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. And so they do the exact opposite of what they had been commissioned to do. Remember, they were supposed to scatter over the earth for God's glory. And here we see them gathering in one place for their own glory. This would have been so frustrating to me. One of the most frustrating things to me as a father is when I give my boys very clear instructions. I say, please quietly go outside and clean your toys Three minutes later, they're doing the exact opposite. They are not being quiet. They are so loud. There are more toys in the yard than there were before, and they're not even outside. They're in the garage. So if the three things that I ask them to do, they're doing the complete opposite. And God, likewise, I can imagine him being even more frustrated. You see, God had given us, had given men and women an awesome commission. This wasn't just simply asking them to pick up their toys. This was, hey, join me in my purpose for the world. And we see that they do the complete opposite of that. In church, I think it's really easy for us to look at them and say, wow, how did they mess it up so bad? 
but I know that we will continue to be tempted. We will always be tempted with the same thing. That we, will, we today have the same commission to scatter over the earth to make disciples of all nations, but we will always be tempted to gather for our own sake, for the sake of get, to gather for our own sake and forsake the commission to scatter. I love our church and I love that we are fighting against this temptation. We gather on Sunday mornings and we scatter throughout the week in city groups and we say that we are not just a place with programs, but we are a people with a purpose. Church, would these never just be things that we say, but would these be things that we are actually about? And I've got a couple of questions that I want us to just ask ourselves to help keep us from drifting into gathering rather than risking and scattering. First, are you in a city group? If you aren't, what's keeping you from it? Is it fear of opening it up, opening up? Is it maybe not knowing all the right answers? Is it you're in a comfortable place right now? And I would love to invite you into this week, just wrestling through, just what is it that's keeping me from that? And really wrestle with that and seek Jesus. And I would love to encourage you to just take that step of faith. Last week, Alex called us into working out and exercising our faith. Would that maybe be a step for you to take? Is just walk in the door of a city group and get connected to the scattered church. And if you are in a city group, I want to just celebrate all of the scattering that you guys do. I can honestly say that our city is different because of our city groups that are scattering throughout the week and are pouring into and loving on their neighborhoods and their networks. But I also want to call us into fighting the temptation to just be a, be a city group that gathers. Would we always be thinking, what does the next step of multiplication look like for us? Um, Again, like Alex challenged us last week, maybe your city group this week can talk about, hey, what is the next step of faith that we can take? What will challenge us? How can we be multiplying and going out for the good of others? If we're not careful, our city groups will just become little towers of Babel where it might look like we've scattered, but we're really just gathering in the safety with the same people and never reaching out. Would we be a church that is always fighting the temptation to gather to simply gather for our own names, but would we be a church that scatters for God's name? And so back to Babel, and we see that God um, conclude. we get to the end of the story of Babel, and we see that God, rather than destroying the earth for their disobedience like he did in the flood, he's actually gracious, and he does the work for them. He confuses their languages, and he scatters them. And so now, rather than there being one language in one place, there's now thousands of languages over the earth. And this actually has implications for today. Today, on planet Earth, there are about 7,000 languages spoken. Of them, there are 1,860 that don't have any word of Scripture in them. There's another 4,500 languages that don't have the complete Bible in their language. That's over a billion Bibleless people on the face today, on the face of the earth today. How can these people reflect the image of God if they've never even heard of God's name, if they don't have a revelation of who he is? That's why our missions team has been working really hard to define our mission and values for global multiplication and why we will be a church that will always prioritize the unreached and the unengaged with the gospel. That we will focus our energy, our resources, our people, our finances, our prayers on the places that have little access to God's word and little access to people who can share, who can bring and point people back to God's image. That's part of the reason why our kids' ministry has partnered with Bethel Ministries in India. Bethel is located essentially in the middle of nowhere, India, where they, have, where they are some of the only followers of Jesus out of millions of people around them. And through partnering with Bethel, our kids get to see people gain access to God's word and God's image. And so that's what they're doing with the bake sale, is they are helping 
move people closer towards God's image. And they just get to be a small part of multiplying Jesus-centered disciples and churches in the nations. And so I would encourage you guys to go and talk to them. Don't just buy food, but would you actually talk to the kids and say, hey, why are you doing this? Why is this important? And encourage them because they will be the next generation of people to go out and tell the world about Jesus. And now the Tower of Babel, we got to the end of that chapter 11, and we see that the earth is filled. And God would have ended the story there, but God's plan, we have to remember, wasn't just to fill the earth with human beings. His plan was to fill the earth with his image. It wasn't about physically filling the earth. It was about spiritually filling the earth. And we'll go on to see how God would do this, God's plan for restoring the earth through the multiplication of belief. And so the third thing I want us to see this morning is God's restoration through multiplication. So there's a major transition in the book of Genesis between chapters 11 and 12. The first 11 chapters covered thousands of years and a bunch of different people's stories. But in chapter 12, the, the story zooms in and it really focuses on one man and his family. In Genesis 12, the first three verses say this. Now the Lord said to Abraham, said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who dishonor you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so here, we see God give Abraham both a command and a promise. His command was to leave his country, to leave his family, and to go to the land that God would show him. And his promise is that he would make him a great blessing. That God would make him into a great nation that would bless the earth. We see that Abraham, the promise is that Abraham would have so many descendants that they would become this nation, and this nation's purpose would be to bless the earth by pointing them back to God's image. In verse 2 of Genesis 12, we see the phrase, so that. And whenever we see a so that in scripture, we need to circle it, underline it, highlight it, because it's important. It's giving us a reason why God is doing something. And we always want to know why God is doing what he's doing. And in verse 2, we see the so that is that, Abra- is that God is going to bless Abraham so that he will be a blessing to others. Friends, this is the true. This is true for how God's blessings always work. His blessings still work this way. They were never meant to stop with us, but they were meant to go through us to the people around us. They were never meant to stop with us, but they were meant to go to our neighbors and to the nations. Just as Abraham was to bless all of the families of the earth, our blessings are meant to bless not just ourselves, but all the families of the earth. Now, as we follow Abram's story, we see him going back and forth with this promise of God that God gave him to be a ble- that he would be blessed and that he would be a blessing. And this a long story, but there are two events that I want us to see that really um, continue this thread of multiplication. First, we see in Abraham's life that he will restore God, that God will restore his image in man through multiplication of faith and belief. And this is huge, friends. In Genesis 15, Abraham is struggling with the fact that he still doesn't have a kid. How can he be this great nation if he's almost 100 years old and he doesn't have a single child yet? And we see God comes to him and he says, Abraham, go out of your tent, look at the stars and count them. And he says, that's how many your offspring will be. And this is huge. In verse 6 of chapter 15, 
um, it says this, and he, that is Abraham, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is huge, friends. To be counted righteous is a big deal. To be counted righteous means to be made right with, to be accurate. And as we've been considering the image of God, to be righteous means to be restored back to the image of God. And we see that Abraham did this not by following some list of rules or by reaching some kind of spiritual state, but he did it simply by believing in God's promises. God values our belief in him. And we see that Abraham here begins to fulfill, begin to fulfill his purpose of being a blessing by his example of faith. The second event in Abraham's life that, is, that we should see is when God describes his purpose for why he chose Abraham. In, verses, in chapter 18, verses 17 through 19, God gives another purpose statement, another that, and it explains why he chose Abraham. In verse 19, it says, For I have chosen him, again, this is Abraham, I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And so God says that he chose Abraham so that through him he would restore his children back to walking in the way of the Lord, back to God's image. And again, this was through his faith. From generation to generation, he was supposed to pass on his faith in God's promises by doing righteousness and justice, by believing in these promises um, from generation to generation. You see, the story goes on, and Abraham and his descendants continue to wrestle with this promise and this purpose. You see, Abraham would eventually have Isaac, who would have Jacob, who would have 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. And these tribes would eventually become part of the fulfillment. God does fulfill his promise, and them becoming a great nation. And the rest of the story of the Old Testament follows that story. But we see that Israel continues to have a hard time multiplying God's image rather than their own. We see God raise up prophets and priests and kings for them in order to restore them back to doing righteousness and justice, back to the way of the Lord. But the people continue multiplying their own image and not God's. We close the Old Testament and we see that the earth is still filled with people multiplying their own image and not God's. But then we open up the New Testament to the very first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew. And the book of Matthew opens up with a family tree. It's the recording of a genealogy that starts with Abraham and it ends in Jesus. We see that Jesus enters the story himself. Jesus, not just an image of God, but God himself comes to rescue and restore his broken image bearers. Everything that men and women were created to to be was fulfilled by Jesus. And we see another beautiful purpose statement, just like we saw for Abram in Genesis, that connects the promise of Abraham to the gospel of Jesus in Galatians chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came so that broken images, so that sinful men and women could be adopted into his family and restored back to his image. 
When Paul says that he came, that Jesus came to redeem those under the law, it means that Jesus came to buy us back. In our sin, we had earned, we had forsaken God's purpose and we owed him our lives. He was so gracious to give us the gift of life and we said, no, we don't want that. We want to seek our own lives and our own glory. But Jesus, when he came and when he hung on the cross, he took our place there for how we had rejected God's purpose. And when we trust in Jesus that he is the only way to do that, he cancels that debt and through his resurrection and through his perfect life, we are not just taken to neutral, we're not just brought to even in that debt, he gives us all of his righteousness. This is good news, friends. And we see in just this book in Galatians, in the previous chapter, that this righteousness is given to us just like it was given to Abraham. We don't do this, we aren't adopted into his family, we aren't brought into his family. We aren't made righteous by doing some kind of law. It's not by coming to church. It's not by saying the right words. It's not by doing this or by doing that or reaching some kind of spiritual state. This happens through believing in Jesus. We see over and over again in the previous chapter that faith is what connects us to Abraham's family. The promise of blessing that was given to Abraham isn't passed along by sharing his blood. It's passed along by sharing his faith. And now here's how I've seen this play out in my life in our story of adoption. When our boys came to us, they were in the image of the family they came from. And they had different values. They had different expectations. But we got to say, no matter what image you might bear, you will forever be a Belling. You will forever have a place in the Belling family tree. You can push us away. You can run from us. You can hide from us. But we will continue to pursue you no matter what. And the other day, I was tucking in one of our sons, and he says, Daddy, I have a broken heart. I said, Kenny, what do you mean? And he says, Today when I had a meltdown and I hurt Mommy, it showed that I had a broken heart. And I was able to look at him, and I was able to say, Kenny, like I'm sorry that you feel that way, but even though you didn't act like a belling today, you will still be a belling. Like You are still my son because I love you and because I choose you. And in the same way, God will continue to pursue us. He says, you can run away from me, you can push me away, you can hide, but I will continue to pursue you. I want you to be in my family tree. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not following Jesus, you might see how your image isn't what you want it to be. You might, like Kenny, say, man, I have a broken heart and I want it to be healed Can I tell you that Jesus wants to restore you back to his image? Can I tell you that you don't have to put on any kind of spiritual makeup? You don't have to put on any kind of spiritual Instagram filter to make your image more beautiful before the Father. All you have to do is acknowledge your brokenness before him and say, the only way that I can be made right with you is through believing in the blood of Jesus, that he has covered me, that he was the perfect image in my place. Can I encourage you, to turn your eyes from your own image and turn your eyes to Jesus and look to him? Would you be adopted into his family? If you are following Jesus, can I encourage you to look and think about your spiritual family tree? Who discipled you? Who are you currently discipling? Where are you at in that tree? How are you a part of multiplying God's image over the face of the earth? And now I want to finish with just asking five questions quick questions. First, what do we multiply? I want us, again, we are a church that doesn't just 
gather together for our own name, but we are a church that scatters for God's name. And these are questions to ask ourselves, what does this actually look like? First, what do we multiply? We multiply disciples, we multiply city groups, and we multiply churches. We multiply individuals who follow Jesus, and we multiply communities who follow Jesus together. And again, this is not multiplying our own image. This is about multiplying God's image. So we read our word together. We trust in the spirit. We follow the spirit as he leads us and points us back to God's image, and we point each other to Jesus. And then second question, where do we multiply? We multiply in our homes. We multiply in our schools, in our church, in our neighborhoods, in our networks of people that we know, and in the nations. Everywhere we go, we need to be asking ourselves, how can God's image be more clearly seen here? Third, how do we multiply? We have kids, we adopt kids, we do foster care, and we always point them to Jesus. We start reading the Bible with our neighbor or a coworker. We spend time discipling people. We are a part of church plants. If you live in North Lincoln, I would love to call you into reaching out to Ben and Nate and say, hey, I want to be a part of multiplying Jesus's body. Can I be a part of this? If you live here in central Lincoln and you know that you won't be going out with a church plant anytime soon, I would love to encourage you to find ways to prayerfully and financially, emotionally support other church plants. I was talking with a missionary in Berlin the, uh, a couple weeks ago, and he was saying that they have an Arabic-speaking church in Berlin, which is amazing, first of all, that has a Syrian pastor, and they're reaching out to refugees in the city of Berlin, and they're having a hard time financing it. And so what would it look like for us to be a church that is multiplying churches and disciples in the nations by partnering in those ways? Fourthly, when do we multiply? We multiply always. Again, it's a part of our very identity. It's what we were created for was as we bear the image of God, we multiply that into other people. Lastly, and this is where we'll conclude, is why does this matter? This matters because of God's glory. We don't multiply for the name of anything else but Jesus, for anyone else but Jesus. This isn't about the name of City Light. This isn't about the name of leaders. It's about the name of Jesus. Friends, what a good God we have who would welcome us into his work and his glorious kingdom and reign to restore people back to his image by pointing back to the cross and the victory over death and the resurrection, that people would be restored to his image. There is no other image that is more worthy of multiplying over the face of the earth than our fathers and our saviors. Would we be a church that takes some serious joy in God's commission to cover the earth with his glory? And now, if you would like to respond to this, Um, the band is going to come up and we're going to sing some songs and I'm going to pray. And if you would like to respond to this, maybe you've seen, man, there is this, there's a specific way that I'm not multiplying God's image. I would love to invite you into receiving prayer out in the foyer. There's a team of people that would love to just pray over you. That would love to hear how they can pray for you and those requests to God on your behalf. Um, so we'd love to invite you to that. And I'm going to go ahead and pray.